So let's just put that expectation out there right now. <laughs> Welcome to the React Native Nerds Podcast. I'm Spencer. And I'm John. Join us as we dive into topics you need to know about to become a better developer. You are listening to React Native Nerds, episode number three. No. Episode. <laughs> okay. Wow. Wow. Dyslexic already. <laughs> episode number 13. Yes, lucky number 13. And that is with Spencer Carley and myself, Jonathan Wheat. Hey, Spencer, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing all right. Doing okay. Catching up on my sleep, and it's all good. Yeah, that's most important thing demo went well uh demo went really really well yes yes so it was definitely worth um the staying up and the uh, absolute crash on friday (laughs) um yeah i came down hard hard yeah yep all caught up had the weekend to catch up did nothing friday afternoon after that demo i was just done that was finished i grabbed a beer, I sat down, opened Netflix, <laughs> and started to binge. I don't even remember what the heck I watched. Nice. Yeah, just chilling. Yeah, I, I just watched um, all three Jurassic Parks over the weekend on Netflix. Oh, those are excellent movies. It, I freaking oh, yeah, love just, those. Yeah. Every time. Like, I've watched, I've had to have watched them dozens of times at this point. And, like, every time, it's just, they're good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you own those, or are they on, are they on They're on Netflix right now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, those are really good. I like those. The books are good too. I mean, you know, you always get that nerd. It's like, oh, the books are better. Mm. Um, And in some aspects, they are. But the books are really good. Even if you've seen the movie and you're a lover of the movie, you know, they're really good. So I highly recommend that. Yeah, Yeah, I'll have to do that. I've never read the books. Yeah, John's Book Club. (laughs) Yeah. I got some doozy recommendations for you. (laughs) Ooh, we got to make that a, a segment. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. So before we dive into this episode, I do want to make a quick correction to uh, last week's episode in which we talk about kind of offline storage. Um, I misspoke during that episode and said Firebase real-time database. Firetime real-time database, I've actually never used it, and it is kind of deprecated. Like, it's still supported. It's still being maintained. It's just not the suggested way to do things. What I meant to say was React Native Firestore, and that's one that I've got experience with and I've actually built things on top of. So that was a quick correction I want to make, and I want to thank Mike for actually sending us an email and pointing that out. Um, So if you ever do hear us misspeak or make a mistake, please do let us know. So thank you, Mike. Um, And if anyone else has any suggestions or feedback, whatever it may be, you can shoot us an email at thenerds at reactnativenerds.com. Yeah, I just want to give a quick shout out to Mike because I looked at the timestamp on that email. That was at 5.45 a.m. this morning. So listeners don't know, but when I schedule the episodes to be released, they would get released at 5 a.m. So that man jumped jumped on this podcast and sent an amazing email. Really good feedback. Really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Nice and long and made a whole bunch of really good points and, um, and everything. But like, wow, I, that sort of made me feel good. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. he could have ripped us a new one, which he totally <laughs> didn't. But just the fact that you listen to the episode, which was almost a half hour, maybe. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how, how long that one was. Let's just say it was 30 minutes. So 
the boy jumped on it at 5 a.m., listened to it, and then sat down and crafted this fantastic email to us. So super appreciate it, Mike. With that said, again, thanks, Mike. Super, super appreciate that feedback. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about testing in React Native. Um, I've mentioned it in a bunch of ap episodes beforehand, but I've, I've written a lot of tests in React Native in the last few months, uh, which is completely opposite than the first you know, four years of me writing React Native apps where I wrote no tests. So I'm excited to talk about this today. Um, uh, so with that, um, the first piece of news, which I'm actually going to cover the news today, switch it up a little bit. All my experience with testing in React Native, or 90% of it, has been through React Native Testing Library. And something cool just happened in the last week with React Native Testing Library and another React Native Testing Library, just not under that name. Uh, but they actually merged into one. So React Native Testing Library is now in the Testing Library namespace under the React Native package. So at testing library slash React Native is where this new library lives. So if I misspeak at all through this episode and I say React Native testing library, I really mean at testing library slash React Native. Uh, but what's cool about this is React Native testing library uses the architecture that Kent C. Dodds, who we'll talk about a little bit later on, set out in testing React apps. And it took that and applied it to React Native. But it kind of lived separately outside of this ecosystem that is set up around this ethos that Kent C. Dodds put together around testing React Native app, or testing React apps. And basically with this transition and this migration or merger of two different testing packages, it's now within that same organization. And React Native testing libraries are incredibly supported, but uh, now just it brings another uh, group of people to help maintain this. So that's really exciting to see in the React Native testing world. I was looking at YouTube specifically because I like to watch videos. I like to watch someone else write the code so I can sort of understand how things interact and whatnot. And a lot of it is old. I was really surprised. I mean, I'm talking 2018, 2019. I mean, that was last year, but like <laughs> early 2019. So. Uh, you're on the ball with this because I think your YouTube intro video there is uh, February of this year. So yeah. Well done. Well done, you. Because you're <laughs> the most current. It seems like you're the most current. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's always such a challenge to keep up to date with um, with the changes in this. Fortunately, like things have stabilized and gotten a bit easier uh, to keep up to date. But I know like I did a bunch of stuff with React Navigation and then React Navigation V5 came out completely new API, which outdates everything. So yeah, it's it's tricky to stay on top of uh, the changes in the, the ecosystem. For sure. Yeah. What have you been up to this week? Anything fun, interesting? I honestly believe that I don't have ADD. <laughs> I've never been diagnosed, let's just say that. Um, I, I can focus and whatever. But like hobby-wise and interest-wise, I'm all over the place. So I have a buddy that has recently gotten into mechanical keyboards to the point where he is dropping hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And I mean, like, I think he, since December, has spent 1200 bucks on mechanical keyboard things and Oof. kits and keycaps and switches. 
and whatever. So I was over at his house the other day, and he was like schooling me on switches and whatever. But he got me fascinated in this thing. It's a 40% keyboard, and it's called ortholinear. So every key on it, with the exception of the space bar, is a normal square. All right, I'm talking caps lock, shift, control, like all that. 100% programmable, and they have different layers. So you do a quick keystroke, and now you have, you know, it reprograms everything. So now you have all your function keys and any special keys. You can, I don't know, it's just freaking amazing. And I'm fascinated <laughs> by it because I've read a bunch of Reddit posts and things with software developers and programmers, and they love this thing because your hands don't move because everything mm. is so close together. The keys are in, they're not staggered like a normal keyboard, they're in a grid. So they're directly in rows and columns, and it just looks really, really cool. So I, he's gotten me got to going down some rabbit holes looking at that information. And then I picked up a guitar. I mean, I've had a guitar nice. for a while, but I finally picked it up, brought it upstairs, and you know started to trying to learn that electric guitar. And I was up here in my office the other night, and I was getting these voices out of my amp. Super strange. <laughs> I'm listening, and the woman, it sounds like a news broadcast, so I'm getting way down in there. I'm playing with the controls, the volume, and the tone knobs on my guitar. I'm playing with the different knobs in the amp, trying to you know tune it in or tune out the background noise and things. I'm fairly certain it was coming out of Vietnam. <laughs> And I say what? that because all of the news was Vietnam centric and then they would cut to a commercial and it would all be in, I don't know Vietnamese, but it sounded like Vietnamese. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, and the only reason I think aunt. it sounded like Vietnamese was because um, I had done some in school after school programs with um, a local high school here and there were a couple of Vietnamese kids and I was having them speak to me you know in Vietnamese I was trying to learn you know just mm -hmm. just trying to learn a couple words so like there's just a different I don't know it's totally I don't know how how to explain it but that's why I think it was and like I said all the news was about that and I googled the news story you know this province that they were talking about and found out they were recently having these floods and all this and it was just it was kind of cool. Totally interrupted my pr my playing though, because like any time <laughs> I would play, you couldn't really hear the voices. But then you would stop, and then you know you'd hear it and whatever. Kind of funny. Um, That's but in in mobile centric news, I actually started the Fastlane cheat codes course. Oh man. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, and what I need for that is a demo app. So when I had done the introductory video, I was actually working on an app for a conference that I was doing. Since I haven't been in that source code in a while, I decided I would just spin up something new. So I pulled down Ignite, TypeScript, and um, I'm gonna build an app. And it's gonna be super quick. It's not gonna be, I just need you know a few screens, three or four screens, because there's a snapshot capability of Fastlane. But, um, yeah, it's going to be the demo app for it. And then, uh, you know, who knows? I might actually do, like, a free Ignite sort of course once I figure it all out. Very cool. So that's what I've been. It's been a busy week. Yeah, sounds like it. What's been going on with you? Well, after your uh, all-nighter last week and me commenting about how I don't do all-nighters well. Uh -oh. I, don't, <laughs> I don't like them. Uh, 
that evening we had a big thunderstorm roll through and i in my area a lot of the county is covered by volunteer firefighters and that's something i do outside of technology so at 2 a.m big thunderstorm rolls through lightning strikes a house uh we get a a structure fire that Mm. we go out to and it was you know fortunately everyone's safe all that all that is just property damaged um, and minimal property at that. But it's always a process uh, when there's a house fire, making sure it doesn't extend to more of the house. So there's a lot of what we call overhaul. But anyways, uh, that took about two and a half hours. So I didn't get home till like 4.30 in the morning. Oh. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I had something going on at like 8 a.m. And I was like, I'm not going to go to did. sleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't go to sleep. It's just not going to turn out well. So then I just ended up staying up and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was as close to an overnighter as I've had in probably a year or so. But the funny thing is the next day we had another call at 2 a.m. for a car accident. So uh, it was, it was a a messy sleep weekend. So fortunately, as I said earlier, I just got to sit inside the entire weekend and closed all the blinds, blacked everything out and just watched Jurassic Park all weekend. So that was, (laughs) it worked out great. I think the important thing here is what did you do between 4 a.m. and your 8 a.m.? I got probably a, a day and a half worth of work done because uh, I was that actually amazing? focused. It is. Yeah. I'm I mean, like, it's I almost work like then. my sleep schedule is so off right now. Like I'm seriously up now until midnight. Absolutely no problem. I need to force myself to go to bed because I know I'm going to be worthless the next day. <laughs> it's almost like, oh, man, I don't know if you could just shift your day. I don't and I don't know what it is. I'm in the house alone. Like there's I have my two dogs and a cat and that's it. There's no interruptions <laughs> during the day. So I don't know why I got so much done throughout the night. Right. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Um, Maybe it's adrenaline kicking in. Something. I don't know yeah. it works. But yeah, on on the mobile side for me though, the rebuild I've been working on for a few months now is really really close. So now it's going through I have the app running, the the rebuild running on one phone and the current version of the app running out another and I just like click through and I'm testing my attention to detail trying to find all these little things that I've missed and I'm not a super detail oriented person I'm a very firm believer in like the 80 20 rule where basically I can do a little bit of work and get a lot of results and I'll just stop there so this is a big <laughs> test of me trying to like focus and notice all these minute things that's been interesting and then also I've gotten to dive into writing some end-to-end tests using detox which will play nicely into today's episode yes and actually when i did my ignite install it asks do you want to install detox and i was like heck yeah i do Mm. i don't know how i'm going to use it yet but yes i do so (laughs) i actually have that all set up for my app as well so this is gonna be good this is gonna be a good episode um i'm gonna be leaning on you for this because i have not written any tests ever in my life shocker (laughs) <laughs> for react native i have done php stuff so you know i understand testing and all that but i did watch i did take your course i watched nice. your course i didn't code along with you i do have an understanding of what we're going to be talking about today however you will primarily be doing a lot of the speaking so <laughs> yeah let's just put that expectation out there right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah so today we're talking about testing and like, like i said before i didn't really start writing tests for react native until a year ago where we really started getting serious about it maybe like a year and a half until like you know i wrote or a year and a half since i wrote my first test in react native so a lot of what we talk about today and a lot of the basis of my knowledge is based off of kent c dodd's work and i imagine if you're in react react native land you've heard of kent c dodd's 
He's got a lot of great testing resources. His blog's a fantastic resource. He's got a course called Testing JavaScript, testingjavascript.com, and a lot of really good stuff in there. He's got this interesting model, and I don't know that he came up with it or if he's kind of taken it from someone else, but he calls it the uh, testing trophy. And in that, he breaks tests down into static tests, unit tests, integration tests, and end-to-end -end tests. We'll talk through, basically, from the ease of writing a test to the complexity of writing a test through this trophy, as he calls it, and discuss tools you'll use and uh, what you'll actually use to accomplish that in doing so. So, first one off is the static tests. And static tests, they're not really tests, they're just kind of, they're just there to catch you when you make a mistake, because we're all making mistakes as we're writing code. So basically, a static test is just there to catch your typos, make sure you're passing the right data to the right things, or you're not making any just silly little mistakes. And these ones are really, really easy to set up. And if you're using really any editor, they just are built in. But tools you're going to use are like something like ESLint to give you linting to make sure that you're writing decent quality code and you're not making silly mistakes. If you want to take it one step further, you can look at something to actually type your JavaScript. Really the only option at this point is TypeScript for that. And that's going to take it one level above linting and make sure that, okay, you're calling the function foo and it's passing an argument that is expected to be a number, but you're passing an object. It'll point that out to you. And that just helps you not write bugs um, and just catch things like that. The static section isn't anything you necessarily need to do above and beyond what you're normally doing to write code. It's sort of just a front line. It's um, somebody looking over your shoulder, making sure that what you're typing is correct and mm -hmm. your assumptions about passing parameters are correct, you know, all the TypeScript and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So it's, um, it's a good little buddy to have in your editor. And whatever editor you're using should support these things. I mean, I use VS Code, and VS Code just has extensions up the wazoo. So right. I, you know, and I do have ESLint for all of the programming languages that I use in VS Code. And you know, we've we've talked about uh, TypeScript in the past, and so just recently, like I said, with Ignite, you know, now I'm into TypeScript land with that. So I'm getting to uh, reap the benefits and the pain as I learn, but. It, it is. It's sort of like having a, a little naggy person over your shoulder. It's like, ah, you missed something there. Oh, that's not. Yeah, absolutely. Back. Yep. Yeah. So it's with linting with ESLint, it's super easy to install. You can get it up and running in, you know, five minutes and you can opt into certain rules that it, I don't want to say enforces, but that it'll point out to you. So static testing is super easy to set up, but it's not really doing anything. It's not telling you, oh, your code is right. Oh, your code is wrong. Or it functions right. It functions wrong. It just says, hey, there might be an issue here. Super valuable, and it's super quick to get up and running and to get feedback from. So with linting, I would say every project should have linting, as long as it's not like a single file that you're just using to demonstrate for something. If you're working in React Native, React, any JavaScript really, I highly, highly suggest setting up ESLint. Yeah, and, and you mentioned rules, and you can actually set up different rules. And there mm -hmm. are some quote industry standard rules rule sets you know if you wanted to do i mean literally there was an airbnb rule set i remember yeah very comprehensive you know you can actually have it enforce these rules for you 
yep. and you know it'll just make you i guess a better developer yeah i mean it's just it, it enforces you know industry standards like yeah um, i know what i've done is i've taken the airbnb es link config and that's super super comprehensive but it's got a lot of rules that i don't want to say i disagree with but that i just don't care about so what i've gone ahead is taking the airbnb es link config and then I've created my own uh, Handlebar Labs ESLint config where I take the Airbnb one and then I disable a bunch of rules that I don't really care about. And then whenever I start a new project, all I have to do is add ESLint, add my config, and I get my style guide. So all of my code looks very, very similar in you know less than five minutes. It's up and running like that. So super, super nice to have. Yeah, and the flexibility is great too. And when you were just talking about that, so I do the customization with, the chatbot stuff that I do because a lot of those config files and training data are in Markdown or YAML. And so I actually have a Markdown linter. Mm. However, the implementation of the Markdown, it's still Markdown syntax, but sometimes the, the actual formatting is a little different. So things might need to be indented a little more or a little less and whatever based on what's actually, you know, the reason for the data. And so I've had to go in and edit those rules and either turn them off or make them, you know, just tweak them a little bit and whatnot. So that is really cool about ESLint is that it's 100% customizable. Yeah, you can use it as much as you want or as little as you want to. Going up the trophy where we're actually starting to get some feedback or some validation that the code we're writing is actually working the way it's supposed to. And that brings us to unit tests. And this ensures, a unit test is going to ensure that an individual component or a portion or a function of our application is working as intended. Say you have a function that sorts an array from greatest to least. You would have a unit test to make sure given a given input, does it give you the expected output? And unit tests are also really great. Where I use them is to make sure I'm covering edge cases that may happen. What happens if I accidentally pass undefined or null to that function as an argument when it expects an array? So those types of things are where unit test comes in. And looking at it from more of a React Native perspective, let's say you build a button component that takes an onSubmit handler that is called when that button is pressed. Well, let's say that this button component should be disabled if it doesn't have this onSubmit prop. So you could write a unit test to ensure that, okay, if I don't have this prop, this button should have the disabled prop and those types of things. They're just little things that it's ensuring this one little component of your code is working correctly. Now, the way you actually go about implementing this would be with Jest, which is your test runner, and then some sort of actual testing library. And this is where at testing library slash React Native is going to come in, where it is used to actually render your component and then you can use that in something like, I think it's a just native package to ensure, okay, do I have this disabled prop enabled on my component when I don't have an onSubmit prop or whatever your test cases are. You're just using these packages to test that one little segment that when you use this component anywhere in your app, you know it's, it's going to work the way you expect it to. Just is actually really cool. And it brings in, you know, we'll probably talk about all the different near human language abilities when writing tests. That's a good point we should bring up. Like what is Jest and how does it compare to testing library? But Jest as a test runner is kind of like, one, it gives you the tool set to actually run the test you define. 
And just is really nice because configurations as minimal or as complex as you want it to be, you can just install Jest and it basically just works with just a few setup uh, instructions. But with that, you can say, okay, I have a test that my button uses the on submit prop when the button is pressed. And you can say, okay, I expect that when this button is pressed, the on submit function has been called and just has a bunch of tools to make that and to make that actually work. And basically the way I just said that is the way you would write the test. You've got an expect function, you give it an argument of on submit, and then you say, I expect this function to have been called. And those are your function calls. So it's it's a super, super straightforward vocabulary using it. And like it's just got so many matchers in it that it can cover pretty much everything you want it to. You know, if you want to negate something, you can say, I expect on submit not to have been called. So it's just it's a very nice, natural way to write tests. And then looking at testing library, that's where it's actually going to render your component that you can then interact with and give you those tools to interact with that component. I'm looking right now and the first example underneath the using matchers in Jest is um, test, you know, and then you name your test, but then the actual test code says expect parentheses two plus two parenthesis dot to be T O B E parenthesis four. So you're looking at this test and you're like, Oh yeah, this test is going to expect two plus two to be four. Mm -hmm. There's to be greater than to be less than or equal, like all this sort of stuff. So it's really, really nice when you write your tests because in your head, you're thinking, Oh, what do I need to test? I need to expect that this text equals this text. And that's exactly mm -hmm. how you would write your test. I don't know. It, it took a little while for things to kind of click for me, but now that I've used Jest for a while, it's just like, it's it's natural language. And Jest is basically going to be used throughout the rest of this uh, the testing trophy. So static testing, that's kind of its own ESLint TypeScript thing, but Jest is going to be used for your unit integration end-to-end -end because all these tests need something to actually run the tests and check for assertions. So going up to the next level of the trophy, we've got integration tests. And per my experience, per Kent C. Dodd's uh, guidance, and then Guillermo from, I think it's Vercel now, there's this little saying that it's just as simple as write tests, not too many, mostly integration. <laughs> and that's pointing to integration tests. And what an integration test is, it's that when you combine different components together, do they actually work the way you expect them to? So an example of an integration test would be, say you've got a, a form that submits to the right URL only if it's valid. Well, in this integration test, you're going to have a few things. You're going to have a text input. In that text input, you should be able to capture input. You're also going to have some sort of button that allows the user to submit that information. Well, you also have some sort of form validation going on. So you can see how there's a bunch of pieces here which may be tested independently. You've got tests, a unit test for your form validation. You've got one for your button. You may have one for your actual text component. All these different things, and those all can work fine on their own, but making sure that when I bring these components together, do they actually work the way I expect them to? So as you're going through this process, your tests look very similar to a unit test, but it's kind of like one level back. I don't care if the button is disabled or not disabled if I pass an on submit. I'm going to trust that the button component does that. 
our integration test is just looking at that higher level that that screen where we're integrating all those components together is working the way we expect it to. So I'm going to, in the case of this form, let's say we're taking a email and a password. I want to ensure that, okay, if on that screen I just press submit without entering anything, I see an error message. That's my first integration test. Do I handle the case where there's nothing there? Or next level, let's say that, you know, I enter a password, but an invalid email address. Do I get the appropriate warning there to make sure that, you know, in that case, even though I have inputs, but they're not invalid, do I still see my error text? Or once I actually write a test that passes, so I give a valid email address and a valid password, do I see my API being called correctly? Now, in an integration test, you don't actually want to call that API. You don't want to try to log in because one, you're going to see a bunch of API calls that you don't really care about. The other side is it slows your tests down. If you actually have to wait for a response coming back, you know, that's a big wait. And then the problem with this in the case of an integration test is you're relying on that API to actually be working. And that's beyond the scope of this integration test, right? The API should have its own tests to ensure it's working. So what you want to do in this case in an integration test, at least this is what I do, is mock out your API. So let's say I have, I'm using fetch. You can use, I think it's just fetch mock to create a mock to say, okay, I expect that fetch was called with these parameters or this URL, whatever it may be, and that the right parameters were passed so that I know the API when it works and I've, I'll be passing the right information to it. Looking at the tools, the, your tool set is exactly the same as what you would use for a unit test. You've got just and testing library slash react native because really it's just like a, a higher level unit test. You're just looking at how that screen all works together versus an individual component or an individual function. So when you're mocking an API, are you just basically sending a fake response back? I mean, you're, you're just calling like a JSON file or whatever if you're just getting a text message back or something like that, that's that's all you're doing? Yeah, exactly. So the way it works with fetch mock, which is just a package that makes it easier to just use the global fetch. But anytime you're mocking a function, and you can mock any function that you may use. So for example, you may use this in a unit test to mock out another library, which you don't care what the result is. You don't want to actually call that. You just want to keep those tests contained. But you can use a just mock which gives you a few options. One, you can spy on that information. You can see all the calls to that, what it was called with, uh, what parameters, all that stuff. But in addition to that, with a mock, and this is what you would use with fetch, is you can actually say, okay, when fetch is called, the next time that happens, I want to mock the result value to be whatever. You could mock an error, you could mock a, a valid response, an invalid response, all these different things. That's basically how you're going to ensure that your test works the way you expect it to, given a certain result. You can just say fetch result value once or mock result value. This is what I want it to return with, and then you can assert on your component or your screen based off those responses. Okay. Let's say you're building a weather app because God knows there aren't enough of those around, <laughs> and so you call a weather API in your app, and so basically in your test you're going to mock that data coming back. Would you want right. to mock multiple different? So it's stormy, it's cloudy, it's rainy, it's sunny, it's 
breezy? Like, would you do multiple tests? Because basically your app has to render differently based on that data coming back. So would you want to want to do those multiples or is just doing, you know, mocking up that it's sunny out and potential rain or something? I don't know. Like, would you just do one or would you do multiple? It, it comes down to like, what, what are your goals or what are those tests um, there for? So like in that case, yeah, I'd probably write a separate test that assuming I've got a fixed set of outputs. Okay. I want to make sure that given this input, I render the right thing. If I'm being lazy about the tests, what I would probably do is I'll, I'll mock the result once with the right value and make sure, okay, given it's sunny, it renders correctly for sunny. Then I know that connection is correct. And the next one I would probably write is, okay, if I don't get a sunny response, if I get a response of Hackerman has taken over this API and given me the result of it's, it's not sunny, it's rainy with a ch chance of meatballs, whatever it may be that my app doesn't know how to respond to, I want to test that I actually know how to respond to that. And rather than writing a test for every single valid response, it could be, you can just write those two. But that all comes down to how much test coverage you want and how important that component of your app is. So like okay. in that case, if it's not super important, I might take the easier road. If it's something like the onboarding flow or the sign-in flow, I tend to test those things super super extensively because my app isn't anything if people can't get into it so i like to write those tests so looking back at that quote of write tests not too many mostly integration that kind of comes into the not too many part it's like what's important what's the point of your tests you don't want necessarily to write tests for the sole purpose of hitting 100 percent test coverage you need to think okay what's the value i'm looking to get out of these tests and how do I do that with the minimal amount of tests? Because as with anything, the more tests you write, that's more to maintain, that's more to break. So I don't want to say more to break, but it's more to maintain and there's more that could go wrong. And if it's not that important, what's the point of trying to maintain that? I think integration tests are what give you the maximum value while still being easy to write and maintain and keep up to date. Good. And then at the top, the end-to-end -end tests. End-to-end -end tests are going to give you the most confidence in your app that when I use my app, it's going to work exactly the way I want it to. It's like an integration test on steroids because an end-to-end -end test is just you turning yourself into a robot and tapping through your app. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically it. Like, let's say we have an app that allows you to sign in. An end-to-end -end test is going to physically open up a simulator on your computer, load the app, make sure that it actually loads, and then it will go and tap into the right text input, enter the information, you'll see it type on the screen, go to the next input, enter the information that you tell it to, press the submit button. It'll wait for an actual API response to come back from your server, then it'll go to the next screen, whatever, until your test is complete, it'll tell you yes or no, it did all of that. So it's just a way to turn yourself into a robot so that you don't have to do it. And it's nice because you have an onboarding flow. Maybe there's a dozen different routes someone can go down to onboarding, depending on if they're signed in or not signed in, or if they're allowed to access it, or if they're not allowed to access it. These are all things that are important to your app, but you don't necessarily want to go through each one of those every time you're doing a release, especially if you're doing multiple releases a week. So 
taking these tests and automating them, one, it's less work for you and it ensures you're at, it's actually getting done. Because I know, you know, for a long time, we had pretty comprehensive uh, testing protocol we had to do before a new release. And like, I, I skipped over a fair amount of it. If it was just, I was like, oh, you know, it doesn't touch this. It's fine. I don't need to worry about it. An end-to-end test takes that work off your plate and just automates it. The downside of this is with an end-to-end test is you're launching the app, you're installing the app on the simulator, you're going through that whole process. Therefore, it's a slow test to run, relatively speaking, compared to the other tests because it's going through every single action you would be. It takes time. Every test kind of spins up. You either reload the app or whatever it may be. So you get a lot from them, but they're a lot to wait for. It's not really a continuous testing environment. You need to wait. You need to build it. You need to refine it. You need to rerun those tests, which takes some time, so on and so forth. Super valuable, but take a long time. Looking at the tools to do this, this is where we're going to get away from testing library slash React Native, which kind of spins up its own little thing in which it's rendering a component, but not actually rendering a component. So to do this, you're going to look at something like Detox from Wix. And it's a tool set. If, if you're not familiar with Wix, it's like a website builder. And their mobile tools are all built with React Native. But they're a React Native team that leans more towards native development. They're very much into native navigation and all kinds of stuff like that. And Detox is like that as well. You've got a JavaScript API, but you're very much following a more native testing environment. And it's a bit more complex to set up. They've got good documentation. Things like Ignite have them built in as well if you want it to. But it's... I don't know how to say this without sounding like I don't like detox because I do, but like it, it's, it's, it's a lot. Like I, I've set up detox at least half a dozen times and it took me, you know, all afternoon yesterday to set it up on this rebuild and to get my first test running. Like it's, it's a process. So you get a lot from them, but it's just, it's a bit to set up. Yeah. And lest our listeners, you know, if they don't know, when you said turn yourself into a bot and it clicks through and whatever, you are scripting this. So you're writing code to go find that email field and to type in a value, find that mm-hmm. you know password field and type in a value, find that button and click it, and then wait for the screen, verify that that screen came back, and then continue on. So you're actually writing this entire script for detox to go perform all these actions. And then it launches a simulator and runs through them. Um, So you need to make sure all of your components are set up properly so Detox can find them. Then painstakingly going through your screens to figure out what you actually need to write as the script. So yeah, I could see it taking a little bit, depending on the size of your app and, you know, the sort of tests that you want to do. Definitely. And yet with that, like, I wouldn't write an end-to-end test until I know or I'm confident that, you know, the onboarding flow that I'm about to test is not going to change because I don't want to go through that process again. You get a lot from it because you physically see what is going on in your app. Yeah, you don't want to go back and start renaming uh, components and uh, inserting screens here and there because it's going to totally mess with your test. Right. So I know like where I use end-to-end tests on this rebuild or where I'm going to be using them is just automating our onboarding flow. I know our onboarding flow isn't going to change it hasn't changed in a couple of years so i want to have those end-to-end tests just so i can ensure regardless of what state a user's starting in or what client they're choosing they'll be able to onboard or at least get to a state where 
they're getting some sort of valuable information about why they can't continue on. And I'm just going to leave it like that. <laughs> I, I really, really encourage you guys to check out the links that we'll have down below. There's a blog post that Kent has called Unit vs. Integration vs. E2E Tests. And he outlines this testing trophy and really just describes everything we've talked about here, but you know, more succinct and more intelligently. Yeah, it's just, there's he's got so much great information about testing and how to get started and really understanding the different types of tests. So I really encourage you guys to go check those out. In addition to that static versus unit versus integration versus end-to-end testing for front-end apps article, he's got another one called Write Tests, Not Too Many, Mostly Integration, which he just goes into explaining this quote I think he saw on Twitter and you know the idea of using that to gauge how you write tests in React Native or really any front-end app. Because I know like before I, I was serious about writing tests, I was like, I don't want to spend the time to do this. And I had this idea that if I write tests, then I have to write tests that cover, you know, 100% of my app. But it's it's not like that. You can have a test that, you know, only, you only test one component or whatever it may be. And this is similar to like what Gantt was saying with TypeScript. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can opt into it and just write small tests as you go along to handle the cases that you actually have issues with. And that's actually how I tend to write my tests. It's like, if I write something and then I have a bug I have to fix in that, then I'll write a test for it so I don't have to worry about that again in the future. So I don't necessarily do a like test-driven development. I do bug-driven tests, I guess. <laughs> I won't write a test until there's actually an issue and I have to fix it once. In my you know research for, for this episode, I came across uh, a couple sites, reactnativetesting.io, and that's all mm-hmm. text. By Josh. Text readable, yeah. So if if you're not a video learner, if you want to read and see code samples, static code samples, not someone actually writing them, um, this is a really great, great resource for you because you can just drop into and look at how to do component testing, how to do you know whatever. So that's really great. You know, also I need to pitch Spencer's testing course in React Native School. <laughs> really, really good. You can watch the the intro to that course on YouTube if just Google that. Actually, if you Google React Native testing, he's one of the first results that comes up. Oh, really? At least nice. in the videos, because usually I scroll past ads at the top, and I was just looking for videos, and you were like the first video. Ah, uh, yeah. Yep. So anyway, I just thought that was really weird that you know no one had come up with a TDD course or really anything, unless I just missed it in Google, which is totally possible. With test-driven development, one, like, I can't say I've ever really done it, so I don't know, I don't super understand the principles behind it, or I can't say that. I don't know, I've never really seen the benefit of it in my personal work, but I don't know, it almost seems a little complex to me on how I'd actually write a, or do test-driven development for a front-end component. Like, I can see it and I've done it to some extent when writing a back-end API because I know, okay, when I hit this API, I want an array of this data to come back. Um, I haven't really been able to figure out that mental model for front-end components. So, yeah, I don't know. It can be interesting. Like, what does, you know, test-driven development look like for uh, a React Native app or front-end in general? be an interesting thing to learn about. Yeah, I'm Googling it right now just to see, just to make sure that... uh <laughs> Somebody's not like you, moron. Oh, learn <laughs> TDD in React Native. <laughs> well, there we go. All right. All right. So I'm going to retract all of that because um, 
learntdd.in slash react native. So that'll be in the show notes and that'll walk you down through on uh, how to do this in react native. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Let's take a look at that. But there you go, people. Yeah. I mean, I think with testing, like it just, it really comes down to, um, I don't know, your personal preferences on what makes sense to you and uh, what you want to do. Like for a long time, I was, I don't want to say anti-testing, but like, I just didn't see any value in it to, okay, I see value in tests. And then me right now, it's like, I don't necessarily see the value of a test-driven development or whatever these different processes for writing tests are. So just testing library slash React Native and Detox are kind of my go-to tools for writing unit integration and end tests. And I've been super happy with it. And I've been using those tools for a couple of years now. That's great. Then that's a good point, not seeing the value in something um, slash being ignorant of it. And I will say, I mean, TypeScript is a perfect example for me. You know, I, I was did not see the value of it. I was like, you know, I know what parameters I'm passing around. And now that I'm getting into it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this kind of makes sense. So mm -hmm. I, I see that stuff. So I, you know, I think we just need to be a little more open minded. Yeah. Uh, open minded you know, because I, I will admit I totally wrote off TypeScript. I was like, I'm not going to bother with that. Like, <laughs> that just sounds like a hassle. You know, blah. I'm an old guy, old dog, new tricks, you know, that, <laughs> that whole thing. I'm just not into it. You know, clearly I need to be more open minded. So who knows, man? Yeah, just give it a shot. A lot of this stuff is easy to set up. Yeah, I might be using Detox with this uh, Ignite app. Yeah, I might it's... shock everybody here. <laughs> yeah, I'll just. I'd wait until you're you're sure on what that flow and what that UI is actually going <laughs> to do before right. you invest the time. Yeah, that's right. It's pretty. It's still pretty much a default uh, Ignite app. I changed a couple things, but cool. Well, that's all I've got. Yeah, me too. Well, this has been a pretty good episode. I think uh, sounds like we covered it all, and you you really know this topic very well, so that really helps. Yeah, yeah, and like if anyone has more information or wants more information, I've got that. Uh, testing class which is very focused on react native but if you want to take like a step back to really understand how to structure and view tests can see dodd stuff is just it, it can't be beat it's there's so much quality information out there cool well john as always it was a pleasure and thank you everyone for listening got any comments questions suggestions feedback we got twitter at rn nerds or you can shoot us an email nerds at reactnativenerds.com until next time guys i'll see you Bye. Thank you for listening. You can get show notes and leave comments at reactnativenerds.com.